The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest, a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself? Great, Father. Good. Good to yes. see you. Great to be back again for another week. What Catholics Believe. Father, now you wanted to start uh, by asking for some prayers for some individuals. Yes, well, I, I ask our viewers to keep in prayers, uh, you know, quite a number of good people. The Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list has literally hundreds, if not thousands, of people for whom prayers are requested, and of course we know many of them personally are near and dear to us. Please continue praying for a young lad and uh, who's, uh, who's ill, but uh, hopefully the doctors will be able to uh, get him on his feet and keep him on his feet. Um, and um, his name is Jude. And uh, I would also ask prayers for a number of uh, elderly, older people who are suffering with cancers and uh, strokes and other maladies, uh, bravely suffering. But uh, please keep them in your prayers. God will bless you for your charity and uh, will certainly bless them for your, for your care in praying for them. Uh, I know that there are those who do make it a point, though, to offer up their, their, their sufferings for those who are praying for them, in large measure offering them. And so, yes, we'll all be beneficiaries of this for the communion of saints. So please do keep them all in your prayers. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Father, we also wanted to just very briefly give a shout out to a brand new viewer that we have to the program. On mm -hmm. Therese is her name, a great... Uh, Brand new friend of the program recently discovered the program recently discovered the traditional Latin Mass still exists, mm -hmm. uh, much to her surprise. And so we welcome Therese and her friends as well. I understand she's been passing our videos along to all of her uh, friends who I believe are in the Novus Ordo, but definitely seem to be more traditional minded. So uh, we Well, we certainly welcome Therese and uh, God bless her and we thank God for the graces that he gives. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, Father, we had a couple uh, topics tonight. Um, we wanted to go through a few emails, and we also um, wanted to attempt to have a, a brief discussion on the topic of environmentalism, because mm -hmm. um, that seems to be a very topical issue right now. Uh, but we wanted to begin, Father, just um, briefly by touching on an issue that uh, seems to be becoming more and more prevalent in the world today, and that's the this violence um, that we've seen on uh, on churches and uh, pregnancy centers, anything Christian or, or pro-life, uh, really, with all of the uh, abortion happenings uh, in, the, in the world today. It seems every time uh, we, we turn on the news, there's some new report of uh, some kind of violence or attack or assault against a, a, a pro-life center or a pregnancy center or Catholic churches. We talked before about how the, uh, the Department of Homeland Security officially warned uh, Catholic bishops to, to be aware, be on the lookout, be, be on uh, alert against any kind of violence, and it definitely seems that it's coming to fruition. As I say, you know, these, these attacks seem to be more, becoming more and more prevalent. Um, what's, your, what's your response to this, Father, how this, this pro-abortion violence that we're seeing now? Well, I don't know that the, the Supreme Court, um, actually at the time of Blackman, who authored the, um, the Supreme Court's decision, Roe Pro versus Wade. I don't know if in 1973, when that uh, decision was laid down, that those seven justices who voted um, basically to strike down the anti-abortion laws and uh, essentially make abortion the law of the land at that point. I don't know if they, they foresaw this happening. Maybe they did. It's possible. They should have. I mean, the moment you, in a sense, um, sanction the wholesale murder of the unborn children in the womb, you are unleashing uh, devils on the nation. You are unleashing a spirit of, uh, of murder. Right? It's a murderous, violent, hateful spirit that they unleashed. 
that popped out of Pandora's box there. And, uh, and this is what we see coming to fruition now. You know, when you have millions and millions of children who have been put to death in their mother's wombs um, by doctors uh, at the behest of their mothers, um, many of whom were, um, you know, compelled by boyfriends and, and, and parents and who knows who else, friends, and to do the dirty deed, there is going to be a very serious consequence, and that is there's going to be a certain savagery that sets into the society and, and takes over. And we're witnessing that. That's what's come to full term now, is savagery. I mean, the, the, the pro-abortion movement here, the effort, has actually given birth to this savagery. It has brought forth savagery in, in America. <clears throat> and I would say, as far as the, the violent uh, leftists and who are... <clears throat> Uh, ready to threaten, uh, beat, uh, burn in favor of, uh, to support their abortion rights. Um, I would say this is exactly what you'd expect from them. This is the kind of people they are. This is how they think. I'm talking about the militant, rabid abortionists who are being supported by the militant, rabid abortion politicians. <clears throat> um, they are basically... Uh, you know, drenched in, in the blood of the children. And um, this is their business. It is a business of murder is what it is. And of course, it's, 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 it's steeped in violence. It begins in violence. It's going to end in violence. Um, and you're, you're going to have that spirit of violence wherever abortion goes. So when you, when you realize the, between the politicians who have made their uh, political careers, right, um, on, on the matter of abortion rights, but that's their, their ace, as it were, up their sleeve. And uh, when you have uh, a rabid, um, savage uh, people who are raised that way and taught that way in a, in a government school system um, and who are simply maniacs about their rights, uh, the, demand, the right they demand to, to have absolutely... Uh, wanton um, sexual lives that are completely out of control. They, they have nothing else they live for, basically. <clears throat> Such that even if a child is conceived, the child has to die. <clears throat> then you know that there is a perversion that is set into the country that basically is a, amounts to a, a possession, like a diabolical possession. <clears throat> and um, the devil fights like a, like a devil. Right? He fights like a devil to hold on and not to be exercised. <clears throat> so that's what we're seeing here. We're witnessing basically uh, that very savagery come to term that they unleashed with the Roe versus Wade in 1973. And we couldn't have expected anything else. Of course, it was going to have to come to this. Mm -hmm. um, if the country was ever going to even, uh, even discuss the possibility of freeing itself from this demon. Uh, the um, the demons were going to come out and they were going to uh, counterattack and do everything they could to uh, do it. So, what we need to do is, uh, well, obviously pray, right? But we also need to be ready to defend as well. We need to be able to defend <clears throat> against this uh, as an exorcist would uh, defend against the onslaught of some uh, demonic attack. We need to be able to defend um, you know, even in, in an exorcism, the exorcist goes in with uh, some muscle to help control the demon. If you know, he decides to flex the muscles of the poor person he possesses. So, in an exorcism, uh, an exorcist will take, uh, you know, even physical means and uh, uh, persons who actually can restrain the demon. And so we need to be able to exercise that same power of restraint over the demons at loose, uh, who are at loose, um, just, uh, you know, attacking in their savagery, whatever represents pro-life, yeah. whatever represents um, the pro-life, not only to save the lives of mother and their children for this world, but especially that whichever represents the, the hope of eternal life. Mm -hmm which is the real pro-life message. Right? Okay. Yep. okay, well, thank you for that update. Father, um, we can jump into a couple emails. I, I, by the way, Tom, if I may just say this, I, the mindless um, uh, 
just people who who are who are just basically uh, completely dominated by their passions. Okay, the ones who are in the street <clears throat> shouting the slogans and being just filled with absolute hate and malice. Okay, <clears throat> to anyone who would who would tell them they can't abort their children. They, they, it's, it's wrong, it's murder, and would, would forbid them <clears throat> the right to do this. And then that's not even what's being done now with the, the talk of the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. It's simply a matter of them saying this is not a federal matter. Yeah. This is not a matter of the federal government. Um, <clears throat> um, we should actually see the politicians who actually created this problem, starting with the politicians on the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, the court is supposed to be people by justices, not politicians. But Roe versus Wade was a political decision entirely, from beginning to end. And uh, bad, bad uh, law, bad judgment, because it's bad politics. <clears throat> and I really think the politicians are the ones who have to be held responsible primarily for all of the violence that's going on right now. And no wonder, you know, no wonder the politicians who favor, who favor this um, dissolution of our society and the destruction of America are uh, doing nothing to stop this, really. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're doing everything they can to protect abortion clinics, um, funding hundreds of millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood and so on, <clears throat> but hardly breaking, raising a finger to protect uh, pro-life people or their property, um, even, their, even their, you know, their, their, their lives, their children, uh, doing nothing, even, but rather encouraging people to attack them by their inaction and even tacitly by supporting, uh, to, uh, supporting those attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it is criminal, but uh, when the criminals uh, actually have seized power, this is what you to happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, Father, a question from an emailer. Uh, she writes in and says, my sister is a Novus Ordo Catholic. Uh, she's dating a man who is civilly married and is now divorced. My sister thinks her boyfriend will propose to her soon. So my question is this, can they validly get married in the church? And if she decides to get married outside the church, am I allowed to attend the ceremony? Well, there are questions that have to be answered before an answer can be given to that question. Um, <clears throat> the questioner says that her sister, or his sister, that her, lady, sister. Uh, her yeah. sister is dating a man who is civilly married. And is now divorced. Okay, now divorced. The question, was he a Catholic when he's civilly married? Was his civil marriage a valid marriage or not? If he was not a Catholic... Uh, when he married a, let's say, non-Catholic before a civil magistrate, <clears throat> if he was not a Catholic and the woman he married was not a Catholic, they could validly marry before a civil magistrate. <clears throat> if that were the case, and the man who she's talking about married validly to this other woman, and she's still alive, obviously he's still alive, then uh, they're still married. They're married as long as they live. It's the very nature of marriage, um, to be indissoluble. And so, uh, no, the, the man could not marry this lady's sister validly. It would be a sham and a fraud. It would be basically adultery, open adultery. And she could not, in good conscience, celebrate it in any way. Couldn't be present for it. To, uh, could not give any indication that she approves of it. If she did, she'd actually be encouraging her sister to go to hell. And that's not what true charity does. You know? She should do everything in her power to enable her sister to understand that as a Catholic, that would be committing adultery, and she will lose her soul because of that. She's giving great scandal, and she might take others with her because of scandal to hell as well. She's also putting the rest of the family in, on the spot as to what they will do. Now, on the other hand, if the man was a Catholic, if he was a baptized Catholic, and he married civilly, that would be an invalid marriage. Or even if he were not a valid if he were not baptized a Catholic, but he married a woman who was again because she was a validly baptized Catholic, 
<coughs> the two of them could not marry before a civil magistrate. It's the law of the church with the authority derived from our Lord Jesus Christ that says that Catholics cannot validly marry before a civil magistrate or a non-Catholic minister. So um, the question that I would ask her is, uh, you say that the man was civilly married to a woman um, of un who's not known, nothing is said of her there. And I would just have to start out by saying, well, were either of them Catholic, are either of them baptized Catholics, the man or the woman he married civilly? <clears throat> and that would change the outcome. That would definitely change the answer. Mm -hmm. So I'd say what it comes down to is the validity of the existing marriage. I mean, there's another question, too, that should be asked. In other words, if this case were to come to me or any traditional priest, there would be asking certain questions and doing certain investigations. <clears throat> One of the things they'd investigate is, well, all right, this man married an unknown woman, unnamed woman, civilly. But another question that's important to ask is, was this woman married before to somebody else? Because if she came before the civil magistrate to marry this man, but she was already validly married to somebody else, then she could not become the spouse of the man in question here, the boyfriend of the sister. And if it can be established uh, that she was a married woman <clears throat> attempting to marry this boyfriend, <clears throat> uh, then that would be null and void. The man, you know, would not have been married to the woman civilly or any other way. <clears throat> Certainly would not have been validly married to her. And that would leave him free to marry, assuming that he had not been previously married to somebody else. The laws of the church are very straightforward and very simple. The problem is applying them to the way people actually live is where they get really complicated. <clears throat> because people really, really weave a tangled web, web in the way they live their lives, right? <clears throat> so, uh, you know, you have today cases where people, like serial marriage marrier, marriers, where they've been married three or four times, and you, you're trying to trace back and find if any of those were valid marriages. And from one to the next, you know, you, you can determine there was a valid marriage involved. It affects everybody down the train, you know, down, down the road. So <clears throat> that's something to be concerned about in this case, too. If this gentleman was never validly married to anyone up to this point, then he could conceivably uh, date legitimately date this girl's sister and conceivably validly marry her, you know. The question that the girl should be asking, though, is, is he, is he square on this right now? Does he understand the significance of marriage and the marriage vows? He's already been through this one civilly. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> is he a man who will be a Catholic, a good Catholic husband and a good Catholic father and respect God's laws with regard to marriage. The sister really needs to seriously answer those questions. It could be that uh, he, he might be free to marry her, as, as it turns out, but it might be a tragic un union <laughs> to, to marry the man, unless he really now has the faith and takes it seriously, and has, well, not a faith, but hope and love for God, too. That's what a woman has to look for in her husband, so in a husband. <clears throat> so anyway, I, I don't know if that helps, but uh, if we could get a little more information, I think it might be a bit more helpful. Okay, great. Uh, next email, Father, how can the Society of St. Pius V exercise priestly ministry, especially the offering of Mass without canonical mission? Do not all moral theologians and canon lawyers say that canonical mission is necessary to offer Mass and that it is a sin to offer an illegitimate Mass? The canon lawyers and theologians of the Church uh, do certainly speak of mission. And yes, that is a real thing, okay? <clears throat> and um, to function legitimately in the Church, there has to be a sense of a mission given. The question is... <clears throat> Uh, where does that mission derive, okay? And is, is it something that necessarily has to come through human agency? Can the church itself 
grant the mission. And I think, again, if we look back in history, we see that the Church herself has expressed her mind very clear in Catholic tradition, that those who have the power of holy orders are bound to use that power of holy orders for the good of souls. And uh, we have, really, the, the question comes down to now whether the Catholic priests who are not, <clears throat> shall we say, authorized by the modernists, who are the inveterate enemies of the Catholic Church and the inveterate enemies of Christ, <clears throat> that if someone does not have a mission from the modernists, that he can't function as a Catholic priest, I think that's absolute nonsense, and I think the tradition of the Church says it's absolute nonsense. <clears throat> the Church expects those who are validly ordained, who have the faith and practice the tradition of the Church, to use the power of orders for the salvation of souls. That's the supreme law of the Church. The Salus Animarum Superior Lex, the Church herself states that in her canon law. <clears throat> so again, there are those who are stuck on, uh, shall we say, legalities, and there are those who realize the legalities of the Church are very important, but they have to be understood in light of Catholic tradition. And the Church tells us how she understands her own law. <clears throat> um, and that's not something necessarily that uh, canon lawyers and... Uh, theologians might uh, ordinarily talk about. Yes, in the, in the canon law books and so on, they will talk about <clears throat> mission in the, in the De Ecclesia treatise that the priests cover in the seminary. They will talk about that matter of mission, and it is, it is important, there's no doubt about it. <clears throat> but it has to be understood in light of the Catholic Church's own understanding. The Church tells us what she means by that. And throughout the Catholic tradition, it is very clear that the Church does empower those, especially in times of crisis, uh, to use their, not only empowers them, but requires it of them, to use the power of holy orders that they have validly received for the good of souls. And we see example after example in the course of history of those who rose to the occasion in times of crisis to, you know, take care of uh, administering the sacraments to justify and sanctify souls. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, this, this gentleman seems to have written that in an adversarial sense, I think, <clears throat> but I don't necessarily take it that way. I would just add to what, I, what he asked there, and in, in a certain phrase, and in times of crisis, how are we to understand this? Now, if the gentleman thinks that we're not in a time of crisis, um, then, you know, we obviously disagree. If this is quite normal and standard operating procedure for the Church, then st standard operating procedure of the Church would mean that uh, traditional Catholics should simply uh, go along with the Novus Ordo, you know, embrace modernism and just give up this whole idea of following Catholic tradition. If, if this is not a crisis. But if it is a crisis, then again, you know, the Church tells us how we are to approach this and what we are to do about it. And um, she makes it very clear that in this case, Ecclesia Suplet, not only jurisdiction to administer the sacraments on an individual basis, but there is a worldwide, churchwide crisis going on right now. And, and uh, those who still have the faith and are practicing the faith have an obligation to use the power of holy orders they have mm -hmm. for the benefit of souls. This is the Church's mind. It's been made very clear through the centuries, and, uh, you know, people can uh, quote this canon law and that canon law all they want, but they're understanding it and applying it in their own way. What we need to do is apply it in the Church's way. What has the Church told us about times like this and what we are to do about it? Okay. And that's what traditional Catholic priests and bishops are trying to do. Very good. Hey, um, another email. Father, can a Catholic man be a stay-at-home dad? Uh, this viewer provides a hypothetical scenario where they say the dad is a better teacher for the kids. Uh, he's better at the day-to-day uh, -day stuff. The mom likes to work and has a better job. Uh, she wants to work. Um, if the family has children who are school of the school age and the father is homeschooling them, as a devout Catholic, is uh, a man in this situation permitted to be a stay-at-home dad, or does he always have to be the, the breadwinner? Well, he always has to be the head of the household. But that means that he would have, he would have the power of, of deciding this very question. 
I mean, they might say, okay, well, uh, wife, you have a certain training which um, gives you certain skills that can provide a good uh, income for the family. Um, in this case, I have better skills at homeschooling the children. So uh, I decide that this is how we are going to do this. Okay, you're going to go to work, and I'm going to stay home and homeschool the children. Uh, now, the husband will always be the head of the family. You know, we can't change that. Uh, God established that. And so it has to be understood by both husband and wife that that arrangement uh, uh, perdures uh, at the discretion of the, of the husband. Okay? Um, if he should uh, say, well, look, it, it, now it has to be my role to be the breadwinner, and, uh, you know, we need you to take care of, um, of teaching the children at home. Well, that's what would have to be done. Okay? Ultimately, he has the responsibility for making that decision, which is a very big responsibility. So it would be really very wrong if they decided to do as he describes, he himself staying home and teaching the children, the wife going and making the, the money. And, but that that would wind up with the wife uh, being coming a kind of career woman and uh, <clears throat> thinking that she's somehow independent of her husband and can do her own thing and go her own way, and that decisions that she, she, she makes are independent of her husband and her children's welfare. Um, you know, the, it, she could do this, uh, work and so on, but she'd have to understand that ultimately she has to respect her husband's authority and decision-making power in that as to what is for the best for the family. Um, but I don't see any reason why intrinsically it would be um, wrong in the case that he described that uh, she's in a better position to, you know, work-wise, to uh, um, provide a better living than he is, and he's actually better, more capable, he thinks, and I, I expect that he probably knows, mm -hmm. uh, to instruct the children at home. Um, that could very well be, and in a case like that, it might be in the best interest of the family. Okay. All right, uh, last email, very quickly. Father, a viewer said, it seems that the pre-1963 Catholic Church forbade cremation because it might be done for reasons contrary to the faith, uh, such as Masonic intentions. The viewer asks if she doesn't have these intentions, is it all right to be cremated as it costs less than any burial? Uh, she says that the closest Catholic cemetery is very far away, um, so would cremation be a viable option for this individual? Uh, the church permits it. Uh, the Catholic church does. The, the modern church, the modernist church, uh, has allowed it. And um, it has become quite common in the modernist church after Vatican II. Um, you find um, some 225-pound man who passed away and all of a sudden, he's just a handful of ashes in an urn. People are gathering together to remember you know, good old Troy or Bob. And um, it's a very, very paganish, paganistic kind of uh, setting there. Uh, the church uh, saw that it was primarily a pagan practice to cremate the body. And uh, basically, um, a Gnostic and dualistic idea of matter being evil you must destroy it to release the spirit or whatever they, they say. But even if there was none of that involved, even if it was a matter in a particular case of wanting to save money, it doesn't make it right. In fact, there, there are burials now. We just discovered this. Uh, one of our dear deceased uh, uh, followers of what Catholics believe, in fact, uh, went with what I guess they're calling like a green burial, or I, I don't like that terminology, uh, because it has political overtones. But the point is that there's a simple box, uh, like a casket, such as you'd have for a uh, member of a religious order, like the Traspas, you know, it's a very simple casket of wood. And uh, no, no embalming and uh, other fancy frills involving, but a very simple, straightforward ceremony. Again, something that would be very much akin to what prior to the maybe the 19, the advent of the 1900s, would have been standard operating procedure for the burial of a, of a, of a person. 
without embalming, uh, just in a simple casket and in a simple, um, you know, simple grave. Um, minimizing the costs, there are people who are actually choosing that. Um, there are those who I think almost would describe it as somewhat, well, almost use the word obscene to, to have all this fancy frills that it's certainly not the way they lived and they they believed in in real simplicity and they want to be buried with simplicity but knowing that cremation is 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 not right uh, they've opted for a, a, a cemetery burial like this so it's a matter of, of saving money well there are ways to do that even then though uh, what the person says might be accurate, that still even a green burial might be more expensive than any cremation. Still, you know, if that's the, if that's the issue, then, you know, one can say, well, it'll be even less expensive than cremation if I just go off into the woods and die out there on my own, or, you know, I'm devoured by animals or whatever. There are, there are ways I could dispose of my remains that might even save us the cost of a cremation. Uh, if it's if it's about the money, then uh, I think we're looking in the wrong direction here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to save some dollars here and there. I mean, people who would who would spend a bit of money on other things that are much less significant, but might talk about saving a few hundred dollars, you know, on their funeral by getting cremated. <clears throat> um, whereas during life, spending a few hundred dollars on you know frivolous worldly things might not have been an issue for them. So, but I think they should take seriously the church's teaching on this. And uh, I know that God would bless them for doing that. It shows a certain respect as Catholics. And the church has reasons for traditionally forbidding cremation. Um, She wants us to be very cognizant of the resurrection of the body and that the body is an uh, essential part of our humanity, right? Substantial part of our humanity. And we should treat the body with respect and uh, deliberately reducing it to ashes without cause, except to save some money, is, is, not, yeah. is not showing the proper respect. Okay. Well, Father, perhaps that uh, can lead nicely into the next topic we wanted to discuss in the second half of the program, and uh, it's this idea of, of environmentalism. Environmentalism. Uh, we hear that a lot nowadays. We, we see that a lot. Um, it's mm. in, in the, the news a lot. We hear about uh, climate change and, and mm. um, similar things. And in the po- politics, um, this, this question of the environment seems to, to dominate almost um, a, a lot of other things. Mm. Well, uh, actually, there were, there were actually uh, newscasters and those who uh, actually news editors who made it very clear that once the COVID scare passes, the next one will be climate change. Now we, we've got to go on to that, mm. and we've got to induce fear so as to induce control over people because of climate change. So they made it very clear that was where they intended to go with this. Mm-hmm. It's all orchestrated. But Father, what uh, what should what should Catholics, what should traditional Catholics <clears throat> think of, of the the environmental movement as a whole? Um, it's relatively new, it seems, or at least in its current form. But um, you know, obviously. This, on the surface, seems like a good thing to take care of the, the creation that, that God uh, has given to us, not to, uh, not to spoil it, not to ruin it. Um, on the surface, this seems like a good thing. What should Catholics think of the environmental movement? Well, the environmental mo- movement as it is, as it is today. Yeah, I think it should be looked upon as a, as a scam. And uh, simply has been co-opted by the, uh, the leftist as their cause, as a cause to gain control over the world's population. Um, you know, the, the argument of reducing the population, uh, you know, all the matters of birth control, whether it be the pill or uh, fomenting homosexuality and promoting that among peoples, uh, the, the transgender movement and all the rest, they're all about attacks on, on human life, okay? And I think the current environmental movement is another form of that, attacks, attack on human life. The... Um, the environmental movement today is actually more than just a, a movement. It's a religion. They're turning it into a religion. In fact, the former head of the Vatican Bank, at the time that uh, Archbishop Vigano was the gubernator in, uh, in the Vatican, overseeing the Vatican finances, 
his name was Ettore Gotti Tedeschi, T-E-D-E-S-C-H-I. Uh, Ettore Tedeschi said that uh, the religion of the future that is being designed for us now is uh, Gnostic environmentalism or environmental Gnosticism. I thought you could put it either way. And basically what he's saying is there's a, a there's simply a neo-pagan environmentalism that is going to be imposed on the world as the one world religion. And he says he's, he saw that coming. I mean, he's, he's been saying that for some years now, since at least 2015. He's been saying this, uh, sending this message out. That this is what the religion is being foisted upon. And he, he actually says it's coming through the Vatican. So, um, you know, this is the future one world religion. This is why, you know, after COVID, they have to go, they have to keep beating the drums for this environmental Gnosticism, <clears throat> this uh, environmentalism, because that has to become the one world religion. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, this, you say this is, this is anti-human life. It, um, it certainly isn't sold to us that way because we constantly hear, um, you know, that we must take care of the environment because of human life. We, we, want, our, uh, we want human life to, to flourish, to have our best uh, lives here, and we have things going on like climate change, which is going to destroy uh, the climate to make the planet uninhabitable un- for yeah, us. But it's not for human beings. Human beings are looked upon as the enemy of the climate. Human beings are looked upon as the enemy of the earth. We are the polluters. We are the problem. We are the ones, they say, who are causing climate change. And it's because there are too many of us, and many of us just have to go away. I mean, they, they, they don't talk about the Georgia Guidestones. I suppose most of these environmentalists don't even know about them. But the, the fact is they're very significant. In Georgia, the Guidestones, uh, the very first provision made there is that the population of the, of the world must not exceed, what do they say, 500 million people, period. That's like a commandment of the new age. That means that a lot of billions of people have to die. We have to go away. They have to make us go away. How are they going to do it? Famine. And, uh, and disease, pestilence, of their own making. Uh, these are all contrived. These are programs they're undertaking because they can afford it. Um, they have the resources now and the control over the resources of the world that they can actually kill off millions of people. Um, and the, you know, there are certain uh, uh, billionaires today who have made no secret about that this is actually desirable. Bill Gates among them. Um, so, in any, in any case, um, no, if, if the, the idea is that we are the enemies of the earth, and we, the earth is not here created by God to serve us, human life. We are here to serve the earth. Uh, we are here to serve the, the goddess, the earth. We are here to serve this world. It's the total inversion and perversion of what we read in sacred scripture, that God created this world to be our home and our, at our service, right? And we are meant to be good stewards of the world. Now, unfortunately, there's a certain appeal that that has to, you know, people, Catholics, who have the idea that, yes, we're responsible, so we have to take good care of the earth. We do. We have a responsibility to God, right? And uh, polluting the world and, and, and so on can be can actually be sinful. That's true. Damaging what God has created can certainly be sinful. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see that uh, so many of these environmentalists are, are died in the wool abortionists too. Right? It's okay to destroy human life. Right? Actually, it's just doing the world a service by destroying human life because human life is the enemy. So no, they're not concerned about human welfare and the goodness the the happiness of human life, except perhaps their own. Um, but they do look upon our species as kind of a, uh, a gigantic uh, weed or parasite that has to be severely cut back. Yeah. Is, is there any truth at all to that, though, Father? Because we, you know, we see um, in, in very large cities, we know there's terrible air pollution sometimes, and uh, and, you know, if you kind of multiply that out and we have more and more people in the world, plus more and more bigger cities, we would see more and more pollution and the air quality as a whole would go down. The world would become, the environment would become a, a worse, a, uh, and it become a worse right. condition. Well, again, Tom, I say, you know, I say the movement has been taken over. That doesn't mean 
the the idea of environment the environmental idea is a bad idea. The idea of sustainability is not a bad idea. It's a very human, commonsensical sort of thing to use the resources of the world for what is literally, truly, in the traditional Catholic way of understanding, the common good of mankind. Um, but the problem is that um, the enemy, like the, the leftists, can see this cause as an opportunity for them to gain more and more control. And the problem, as I, as I say it, is, is not just... Um, is not against the idea of taking good care of the environment. We have an obligation before God to do that. We, I admit that. I acknowledge that. All Catholics acknowledge that. We have an obligation before God to take care of his creation. Um, but we also, I think, have to face the reality that the devil can appear as an angel of light and like the communists can, can come in and they can see an opportunity and decide to use this to their advantage to gain control over whole populations, even over the whole world. And uh, ultimately, what is happening now, and I think um, Ettore uh, Gorodinesky is right, that they're trying to make it a religion and the foundation of a one-world religion with earth worship. You know, Tom, I, I don't know that everybody makes this connection. There are people who recognize the environmental movement as now having fallen under the control of quite godless and inhuman people who want to use it to gain dictatorial, tyrannical control over the human race. Um, and there, many of the same people would say that they disagree with uh, the introduction of pagan idols, the Pachamamas, into the Vatican, um, the worship of Pachamama in the Vatican Gardens, right? In, uh, during the, the October 2019 Amazon Synod, the carrying of the Pachamama into St. Peter's Basilica, the invoking of certain prayers led by Francis, you know, with this ceremonies of Pachamama, and then carrying it, the, the Pachamama idol triumphantly to stand before the Synod right in front of where Francis was sitting, right? That Pachamama is right there in front of where he is, and all those who are in attendance are, are actually looking at him, uh, toward him, supposedly, but Pachamama is right there in front of him. Uh, all of these things are a statement. There are those who would contend, condemn the introduction of, of pagan idols into the Vatican, or anywhere else for that matter. <clears throat> there are those who would say the environmental movement has been has been uh, compromised by leftists. But I don't know that people are making the connection <clears throat> between the two of them. And there's an intimate connection between those two phenomena. Francis bringing the Pachamama in, the earth goddess, for worship, and the environmental movement are intimately tied together. Francis Laudato C, talking about environmentalism and caring for the earth, and then the introduction of an actual earth goddess idol for worship. These two things actually go together. I mean, they're part of the same program. Francis's Laudato Si, followed by the Pachamama idol. It's all part of the earth goddess world-worshipping mentality that Francis is bringing in with him to basically foster not only about uh, well, one-world government, but a one-world religion. And Francis is essentially the, their point man in getting this done. <clears throat> and he's going to be their point man in, in trying to move the Catholics away from traditional Catholic belief to the acceptance of the worship of the earth and the one-world religion of Gaianism, you know, Gaia, the earth goddess, and uh, Pachamama was part of that, is part of that program to justify this worship in the name of environmentalism. You know, you read those, those documents that were published for the Amazon Synod, right? There was, first of all, a draft document that was, that was produced for the Amazon Synod to consider 
there was another draft of it that came out, right? There was a Carita Amazonia, I think, a document of Francis that came out afterwards. And all of these, all of these documents are just absolutely dripping with personification of nature. Uh, like the, the Amazon as the great mother womb and the rivers throwing through it, giving life. And I mean, all of this is, is animism. It's all that pagan, native pagan religion. The, ho the whole thing is couched in those terms. It's impossible to read these documents without getting almost, as a Catholic, sick to your stomach to realize he's actually promoting the religion of, Amazon, of animism, the old pagan religion that saw, you know, spirits in the jaguars and spirits in the turtles and spirits in the snakes, Pachawama. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, all of nature is, is, is animated by these idle, idle, idle spirit forces of which you and I are a part. We are just, and I are among them as one of them. And, um, you know, people, unfortunately, they, they read these things and they say, this is very alien to the Catholic faith. This is very strange. It gives me the creeps. But they, they really need to read them in context and realize that this world pagan religion, uh, even, even predating the gods of Olympus, is now back. And Francis is basically the, the single greatest purveyor of that false religion mm. through the Vatican. Um, and the Pachamama uh, business is actually part of that overall program of promoting... Well, he's got environmentalism, but again, he wants to give it a religious foundation. And the Pachamama is actually the religious part of that foundation of environmentalism that comes through the Vatican. Because, as I say, that's his mission. His mission to complete the, the work of Vatican II, to actually uh, lay the groundwork and start the impetus toward the one world religion the worship of the world, uh, and to see ourselves basically simply as uh, part of the world and nothing more. Mm -hmm. Well, Father, it certainly makes sense why politicians, leftist politicians, would promote, um, would promote this cause, because as you say, it helps them uh, gain power and dictatorial control mm -hmm. over, over people. But what, what does Francis and the Novus Ordo Church stand to gain by, by pushing this? You know, this seems to be one of the driving themes of Francis' papacy. He created the new, uh, the new work of mercy, the care of creation or care of the environment. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, he wrote, wrote the encyclicals about it and seems to talk incessantly about uh, the, the environment. What does Francis and the Novus Ordo Church stand to gain from this? Are they just that demented, that perverse, that they just want to totally destroy any kind of semblance. The of objective that. is the destruction of traditional Catholicism. But you see, they, they have a certain animosity toward God as we know him in our traditional Catholic faith. They don't like that God. <clears throat> they want a different God. And this will be a God of basically their own creation. <clears throat> um, it's uh, Archbishop Vigano recently came out with a statement saying, that the, the Freemasons are using the Vatican to promote their one world order now, okay? And so, I mean, this, this plot, this plan has been at work for a long, long time. It's called the Mystery of Iniquity. And uh, the Masons have talked about this uh, very openly, uh, seizing the papacy for the sake of promoting their own Masonic idea of what religion is. It's a, basically uh, a tech technologically savvy uh, paganism, okay? It's, it's a, a kind of a, a reincarnation, if you will, or a re replay of the ancient paganism now with a technological uh, ability, you know, power behind it. And they feel that they can do it now because the technology enables them to surveil everybody, read their minds, they think, and control them, absolutely, the entire population of the world. I mean, Harari has actually come out and said that. Now we have the power to do what the tyrants in the past only dreamed of doing. Okay, now we can do that. Okay. And his point is, now we have to do that. Now we should do this. And uh, but not and go away with the idea of a God in heaven. We are the new gods. We are going to create. 
humanity, uh, according to our own our own scheme, which is which they say is going to be a digi- digitized humanity. Okay, techno a human techno, basically, uh, essentially a, a, just a, gl- a glorified robot. You know, that they programmed uh, as their servants, <laughs> so as their slaves. So. Um, it's not a matter of what they stand to gain. They're, mo- they're motivated by a real malice toward, well, as Francis says, look what he said. In last week's program, we talked about that, the restorationists. I mean, he has a real malice toward these people. He says, the restorationists who still cling to the Council of Trent, they are the enemy, they are the obstacle, they are the problem. We have to overcome them. We have to stop them, right? And overcome them so that everybody adopts Vatican II. <clears throat> and stops looking to the Council of Trent. As I mentioned last week, he was actually saying, in so many words, that Cardinal Ottaviani was right. In 1969, Cardinal Ottaviani with Cardinal Abacci and uh, 40 Roman theologians issued a letter, an open letter to Paul VI, and a critical study of the new Mass. This is before it came out, right? A critical study of the new order of Mass that, the, that was about to be issued by the Vatican. This is what people see now essentially going on in their modern churches right now, under the name of Catholicism. And uh, Cardinal Ottaviani made the statement multiple times that the new Mass has no intention of standing for the doctrines of the faith, as taught by the Council of Trent, to which the Catholic conscience is bound forever, he said. Catholics are bound forever to believe that the doctrines of the Church as taught at the Council of Trent. And uh, Cardinal Ottaviani said that the new Mass had nothing to do, had no intention of standing for that, of representing that, that faith. He said, rather, the, council, the new Mass actually was de- calculated to please the most liberal of Protestants, and represented a different faith, essentially. Uh, actually, was much in accord with, um, well, they didn't use the word modernism, but he described what the new mass represented, and that was it. Okay? It wasn't the Catholic faith. Uh, he said in there that so, so much was this is the case, the Council of Trent rejecting, the, I'm sorry, the new mass rejecting the, the teachings of the Council of Trent, <coughs> that if the Vatican was going to impose the new Mass, it would create a crisis of conscience among the Catholic people, especially the most devoted, the most devoted and um, faithful Catholic people would be put in a terrible position of being forced to make a terrible choice. That's what he said in 1969. Go back and read the Ottaviani intervention. It's all right there. And here, here's Francis now. He comes out. And to these journalists and the publishers, editors, and so on of these Jesuit periodicals, Jesuit magazines, he's saying that the Restorationists, those uh, those who want the traditional Mass and traditional sacraments and the traditional doctrines of the Church, <clears throat> are the big obstacle. They are the big problem facing the Church right now. And uh, because they look back to the Council of Trent rather than the Vatican II. Now, what could be more blatant an admission that Vatican II and Council of Trent are, are mutually exclusive of each other, <clears throat> that looking to the one excludes the other. And so that's the choice that Cardinal Ottaviani was talking about in 1969. <laughs> uh, so I think Francis, in his own friend's way, Francis, Franciscan way, whatever, I wouldn't say Franciscan, uh, Franciscan maybe would be a better term, uh, because of his whole swishing around and the whole idea that he keeps appointing all of these princesses of the church as cardinals, um, that he actually has come out and told everyone, yes, you have to make a choice between the Council of Trent and, the Vatican, and, and our Vatican II. But Francis was elected, by, was chosen by the modernists for that very purpose. He was chosen for the very purpose of realizing the promise of Vatican II, and basically finishing the work of Vatican II, the demolition of the traditional faith, and the replacement in the hearts and the minds of human beings with the one world religion. 
of what uh, exactly what uh, Mr. Tedeschi, Senor Tedeschi said. Signore Tedeschi talked about environmental Gnosticism, maybe Gnostic environmentalism, whatever, whatever they say, but that's the new religion. And uh, the, the, right now the prime emblem of that is Francis's Pachamama. Mm -hmm. Well, Father, practically speaking, how should a traditional Catholic um, act in, in regards to this manner? Because obviously we don't want the animism or, or paganism that, uh, or the one world religion that we're talking about here, but we do, as we establish, we do in fact care about the environment. We, we do care about uh, the creation that God has blessed us with. So um, practically speaking, what does that mean? How do we act? Should we be doing things like recycling and buying electric vehicles? Um, we have we to do? be sensible enough to, to not be deceived by the false. I mean, if you want to, if you talk about environmentalism, Tom, I mean, you have the ISM on the end, which is like a belief system. Catholicism, Bolshevism, right? Communism, socialism, they all kind of are belief systems, okay? As soon as you're just talking about environmentalism, you raise it to the level of kind of a belief system, and again, you kind of <coughs> present it as some kind of a ersatz religion. <coughs> so we have to absolutely reject environmentalism, okay? We have to always relate all of these questions to our Catholic faith, and we realize we do have an obligation to um, take good care of God's creation here. And that means not to poison it, not to pollute it, not to abuse it. I mean, when we were kids in school, we had, you know, the, the, the kid next to us who liked to pull the wings off flies or the, the, the legs off spiders. And, you know, we always, maybe some of us who weren't doing that, thought that was a little peculiar and a little creepy. And <clears throat> realize you just don't do that to a living thing and enjoy it, you know. Uh, there's something wrong with that. Well, there's something wrong with just a wholesale polluting of the nation, polluting of the world. There's something wrong with uh, big pharma right now. There's something very wrong with Food Incorporated right now. And these major corporations are taking over the necessities, you know, production of necessities of life, the worst form of socialism, where the great corporations are controlled by a handful of people who also control the politicians. There you bring together the economic uh, production uh, with the, the, the power of government. And this is the, the, the formula for the worst form of tyranny. And that's what we've got. This is what we're facing right now. So, um, I mean, look, the very people who are behind this environmentalism are the ones who are pushing all this evil stuff right now. Uh, so you can see that environmentalism for them is not actually a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of policy, and it's a matter of actually imposing tyranny and gaining control over the whole world. We have to reject their environmentalism as a religion. Uh, we have to, as Catholics, be responsible for ourselves and see, well, you know, we are required to take care of things. Remember the old days when uh, when parents would say, or the sisters in the classrooms would say, you know, you should not waste food. You should think about those in the world who don't have any. And so you should be careful not to waste food. And not only that, but they had us contributing our quarters during Lent for the, you know, for the missions uh, so that they could obtain food. No one has been greater in, in dealing with the acts of charity uh, than the Catholic man, woman, and child in the course of history. <clears throat> and, but the, the idea of taking care of things has, is a very Catholic idea. Going back hundreds of years, centuries and centuries, Catholic children were taught, you know, <clears throat> to economize, always economize. You know, turn the lights off when you leave the room. Don't let the water run, you know, just run indiscriminately. And we were taught this just because it's not a matter of religious... Uh, environmentalism of saving the earth, we're taught that because it's irresponsible. It's simply irresponsible. It's imprudent. It sets a bad example. It's wasteful. It's wasteful. And we were always taught that being wasteful is wrong, is morally wrong. And we were taught that being wasteful is uh, against charity, and it's something that we would even find necessary to confess if we were really wasteful of, of something good, 
that would be a benefit to somebody else, and I'm just wasting it. We always were taught we had responsibility for that. And how did they get us off of that training from our own parents to environmentalism now, where you know we, we are at the service of, of serving the earth and preventing the earth from being wounded? Because the earth is now being wounded by us, and the earth is reacting against us and punishing us, right? by the things that happened to us. The earth is convulsing now because we're wounding and hurting her. I mean, what kind of mythology is that, that they put in the place of a simple lesson that children learned to, you know, be frugal, not to waste, be considerate of others, to be generous and help, and not to, not to poison the world around them. Um, that's not environmentalism, that's just Catholicism. Uh, so we have to think like Catholics in all of this. Um, I, I do think we have an obligation not to poison the world. Uh, tell it to the major corporations who've made billions of dollars poisoning the world and selling us products that poison us and then selling us products, product, products to try to offset the poison and then selling us products to offset the poison that is caused by the, by the other products, on and on and on it goes. You know, I'm not a, an expert on television, but, you know, I, I go through the airports a bit, and I do hear things, and I see a, a pattern that it, it, it just seems as though half of the commercials are for uh, medications, pharmaceuticals, this new latest medication that will treat you for high blood pressure, low blood pressure, that will treat you for stroke symptoms, that will treat you for uh, you know, heart arrhythmia, whatever they've got going out there. They'll treat you for diabetes, they'll treat you for uh, you name it, right? Uh, half of the commercial is about the latest, greatest new pill or medication or treatment that they've got out there. And the other half of the commercial seems to be for lawyers suing for the damage done by the latest, greatest medication procedure of two years before. It's like a two years lap time. If you were injured by this medication or you were injured by this procedure, um, you know, this, this, this uh, mesh, this mesh for, you know, this particular affliction and so on. I won't go into the details there. <laughs> the point is, then call us right now and we'll tell you what your case is worth. I mean, is it my imagination? I, I don't know that you're a, a television holic or whatever. Did, <laughs> do you see what I mean? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, the latest, greatest medication that can cure you of what ails you. And then they tell you all the things it can cause. You know, take this medication for depression. Caution might cause depression. Yeah. Right? Or suicidal thoughts, <laughs> uh, along with a myriad of other problems. And then two years later, you're going to have the, the lawyers all over the uh, this, the airwaves offering to sue the companies that produce these things because of all the damage these things did to people. And this is the kind of vicious circle they've got us in right now. Um, this is what, and when, you know, when we return to the question of environmentalism, that's all very much part of this. It's all part of this big cycle. Uh, um, in fact, I'd say that is the big picture of, of all of this. And all of these things are elements of that. Mm -hmm. Why? Why would one say that environmentalism is the big picture and all these other things are all like um, subsets of that or with, contained within it? Because I think the environmentalism is actually going to become the one world religion. That we are uh, products of Mother Earth, Children and uh, sons and daughters, well, you can't even say that anymore. Anyway. We, are, we are offspring or whatever of Mother Earth, and uh, all glory, praise, and honor go to Mother Earth. And this is where we're going. <clears throat> you know, um, and I, 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 again, I, I have to see uh, Francis's Pachamama as part of the uh, picture, playing into that whole picture. Um, you're familiar with the novel by Monsignor Robert U. Benson, The Lord of the World, right? Yes, sir. Well, there's a high point in the novel where the Antichrist, uh, Julian Felsenberg, has his, his acolyte, remember that? His master of ceremonies for the worship of the mother goddess, 
and you know his name, Mr. Francis. He's an apostate priest, right? Mr. Francis is orchestrating the worship of the mother goddess, and it, the, the scene from the novel portrays this gigantic statue of this female figure, completely unclothed, but reigning as some kind of a Greek goddess, and the little figure of Julian Felsenberg uh, calling out to this as its mother, you know, its goddess, and uh, its creator, his creator, and he's there at the great service, the Antichrist, of this, of this figure. You know, it would really be worthwhile for people who have any real interest in all this to find that book, or at least to go to that part of the book. You can find it online, actually. It's, it's, it's online. And uh, to actually seek out that, that scene, I think they'd find it very, well, I think they'd find it very interesting, especially in light of what we know now and where we expect they're going with this. So, um, environmentalism as such is a false religion. It is an anti-Christ and anti-Christian religion, and it is, I think, uh, Mr. Signore Tedesca is absolutely right when he makes this very sage prediction that it is destined to be, it is uh, sort of earmarked to become the world religion. Um, and, and Francis is very much a prophet of that religion. Well, Father, thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate your time. appreciate all of your insight tonight. And the solution to all of this is oh, what it has always been, Tom, traditional Catholicism, practicing the traditional Catholic faith. It's the one thing that Francis wants to stop. He wants to put an end to it. It's what the Masons want to stop. It's what all, all the enemies of of God wants stopped. It's what the powers of hell want stopped. They want the traditional Catholic faith, it's, it's mass and sacrament, with their justifying and sanctifying powers, they want that stopped. Okay. And so what we need to do is, well, recognizing, not that they want it stopped, but they want it stopped because they hate God who wants it, who gave it to us, who entrusted that to us, the faith, hope, and charity of Christ, that we have to um, be faithful to God in all of this. We have to reject the false religion of environmentalism. We've got to be, and by the way, I, look, I even consider abortion to be a part of that whole world religion yeah. uh, of anti-human life, as though human life is the scum of the earth and the, the polluter of the world. And uh, PETA, I think, even, even PETA kind of even hints at that. You know, a rat is a pig, is a boy. It's, it's, it's all the same. There's no real distinction between the two of them. Uh, it all is of a piece there. And the, the one thing that stands against all of that is our traditional Catholic faith. So you asked, well, what should we do? Practice your traditional Catholic faith. Do what your traditional Catholic faith tells you to do. And in terms of common sense, with regard to the things of this world, uh, don't be wasteful. Uh, conserve these things out of respect for God, because it is, this is God's creation. Uh, not out of some worshipful mania for some mythical mother goddess of the world, mm -hmm. Pachamama. Don't worship that. Worship the true God and do what you do out of love and respect for the true God. It's the one true religion versus the one world religion. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Uh, well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate your time and everything that you do. God bless you. Certainly, Don. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you. <laughs>